listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 442. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our journey with season one of the Fox series Fringe. And uh, before we get started, just want to remind everybody, we typically record either Monday or Tuesday, so any feedback needs to be in by Sunday night. So, dude, uh, we had... uh, a few experiences over the weekend. We're going to jump right into what would have been what we watched. But uh, uh, if you follow the Facebook group, you know I spent some time in the emergency room. And gosh, uh, I, I wish we'd we'd have known. I'm not sure how we would have hooked up in the emergency yeah. room on uh, <laughs> New Year's Day. But uh, you were there with your dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I'd known, like I would have, you know, maybe said, "Hey, can I, uh, can I visit David Liano back there?" So I don't know. Yeah. I got one of the little red stickers, so I think that meant that was good to go in or something. But Yeah. yeah. But uh, we had planned to talk about the Doctor Who New Year's Day special in this segment, and I'm sure you did watch it, but yeah. I, I didn't get home until late on the 1st, and and quite honestly, Monday was just kind of a, a blur, and, and I to be honest, I forgot about it. And then when I went to check my DVR, it's like, oh my God, it, it didn't record? Because all I was seeing was series thirteen episodes, but because right. it was one one, it pushed it to the bottom of yeah, the list yeah. of Doctor Who. So, uh, you know, we'll maybe talk about that next week. But that's fine. Yeah, for me, keeping it relatively short. Uh, Wednesday, I had to hit an urgent care. I, I had a, a cyst basically go nuclear on my rib cage, and had to, you know go through a procedure there and and even though the the doctor did the right thing and gave me the right antibiotic it got worse emergency room on friday and they you know took me right away didn't have to uh you know wait too long and and again (laughs) wayne and i were in the same hospital as it turns out so uh you know we, we could have met up for coffee almost every nurse every doctor we need to admit you we don't have a room so, dude, as I was telling you, I was in the emergency room in a chair for 29 hours, thanks to the unvaccinated COVID yeah. patients. So, you know, all you petulant nimrods out there that think Marjorie Taylor Green knows more about infectious diseases than Dr. Fauci, I don't know what to tell you. I'd like to drop an F-bomb right now at you, but you are the problem. And if you don't think you are... Yeah. You know, I saw, it's like, I saw uh, my sister is a surgeon. I just told you, and, um, she does trauma surgery and she has ER. So like, she's like 80% of the people in the hospital because she works at a number of different hospitals. It's like 80% of the people are, are unvaccinated. Yeah. yeah. And, and the other the mean, people who are vaccinated are people who have, who are either older or have preexisting conditions. So, you know, it's like, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and I'm sure you saw people on gurneys in hallways, yes. and 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 just people waiting. And well, uh, you, dude, a lady came in, and she had a freaking ski mask on. She's like, "Yeah, I'm Corona positive." I'm like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> I'm like, yeah. "I'm like the, the the nurse behind the desk is very calm." She and she pointed to the paper mask and like, "You need to get one of those masks." And I was just like, "Are you freaking kidding me, man?" Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I think I mentioned this on the podcast once before. I, I saw a T-shirt that I would love to have that COVID started as a virus and then mutated into an IQ test. 
And I mean, it is what it is. Uh, You know, again, Santa's uh, been watching you over the past year and most of you are getting science books. (laughs) I I mean, it's just, it's just They'll be like grade school science books so you can understand. (sighs) Well, you know, I can't remember if I went off about this last week, but you know, like I'm reading about like Kyrie Irving. He won't get vaccinated because he says it's his choice. I'm like, you know what? It's kind of not. Because you're making a personal choice that's going to affect other people, you know? Yeah. So don't sit there and give me this bullshit about personal choice and freedom and all that BS. It's not. If people had said that shit when smallpox was around, when polio was around, we would still have smallpox and we'd still have polio, right? Yeah. The re- there's sure. a reason why they, they, they don't have these diseases anymore. And that's because people took the vaccine and then sit there and give up bullshit arguments about personal freedom. So, yeah. right. Yeah. And I just saw a news segment, uh, a, a bunch of MAGA supporters were being interviewed about it. And, you know, they feel it's their First Amendment right to not get vac- vaccinated. I'm like, okay, <laughs> the, the number of people that don't understand the First Amendment is is appalling, Yeah, including our former president clearly <laughs> didn't understand it either. But, uh, yeah, you, you just don't even know what to say anymore. It, it's just it's just frightening. And, and, again, those of you that maybe don't know, I know Wayne knows, I'm a conservative. So yeah. don't, don't mistake me for a liberal. You know, I feel like I'm a liberal conservative. I mean, I think I'm a compassionate person at heart. But, you know, the conservative party as it is presently constituted – no, not for me. Yeah. So anyway, that that's all I got. Uh, all right. Dave, you had uh, just a little gear to grind there, you know? Yeah. Anyway, so let's get to some fringe. <laughs> well, let me let me grind yeah, the no, gear go. real quick. So yeah. it's not this is anything about political, but it kind of ties in with what I'm watching. I'm not gonna do what I'm watching, but I did last night watch Looper, which has just popped up on my queue and Netflix. And I saw it when it first came out. Uh watched it again and just I'm watching this movie. I'm like, man, this movie is so freaking good how does the guy who made this movie end up harpooning the star wars movies you know yeah because <laughs> ryan johnson made the last jedi right which is one of the worst star wars movies ever and really if, you know just completely destroyed the the, the whole storyline of the, the the last three movies in my opinion yeah. popular opinion it is a popular opinion but it's i will accept it's just mine but uh, you know, Looper is so so good on so many levels, and just to to think, like, you know, was he just dialing it in with the Star Wars movie that he didn't really put any effort into it, or I don't know. But uh, you know, anyway, go go see Looper and appreciate something that the, the man did that you know, that is worth watching. Unlike yeah. the Last Jedi, yeah, I, you know, it popped up in mine as well, and I thought the same thing. Ah, I need to see that again. Yes. So anyway, all right. Well, let's talk about Fringe, episode four of season one, titled The Arrival, written by J.J. Abrams and Jeff Pinkner, directed by Paul Edwards. This one aired September 30th, 2008. And it's kind of basically two storylines, Peter's dissatisfaction with Walter and then, of course, the Beacon and the Observer. So we get a dude, we get a ton of uh, questions answered and maybe 10 times more questions presented to us. 
Well, th- this is just a funny thing. Cause I know I, I feel like we talked about this in, in the spoiler zone, but then even off the air, we were really kind of, you know, it's funny how we were kind of banging our heads as to when we could, you know, start talking about the bald guy, right? Cause right. We, we had noticed him a number of times in the first, at least in episodes two and three, right. um, you know, and, and so we're, you know, we're, we're trying to say when I like he, the, you know, very first scene of, of this episode, there he is. Yeah. So it's like, well, there's that, uh, we have to worry about that anymore. Right. Cause I had forgotten how quickly we get some information about him. Yeah. So, totally. uh, yeah. So uh, obviously who is the observer? What does he want? Uh, what is the beacon? And, and as you said, that opening scene where he's in a diner and he orders that roast beef sandwich and we're just cringing. I mean, when he dumps that entire pepper shaker on there, <laughs> uh, you know, the jalapenos are irrelevant at that point. But he's watching this construction crew with some kind of high tech binoculars. And that's one of the things in this episode that we're not really sure about because we've got the observer and then that guy that in my notes, I just call him the killer. He's also got uh, what seems I, I call to be him a, Doug. <laughs> a high tech yeah, weapon <laughs> yeah so are they from the future are they from whatever so whatever he's got these binoculars he, and it's clear he he knows something's about to happen which of course it does and then he tells whoever's on the other end of that phone call it has arrived so right. you, you know like you said we get some answers early but you know, for every answer we get, yeah, yeah, we get three, four new questions. But you know, it's it's cool. Well, and honestly, this the the first time we watched this, this might not even have been a question we had because if like the really the the two times he's probably in the first episode as well, and I just missed it. But but again, because he's in there so quickly, it's just like a a, a very brief blink of an eye. Uh, you know, sneeze, blink, you miss it. And so easily you could have watched the first three episodes and not at all noticed the bald guy standing in the hospital or in the, in the um, train. So, you know, they answer a question, but it, like I said, it might not even have been a question for most people watching this. Now, Broyles takes the team to see the two foot high cylinder that, that Peter aptly refers to as a giant suppository. But, you know, more to the point, it's that we've seen this before in 1987 at Quantico. And, you know, we we talked about, you know, the other storyline, Peter's dissatisfaction with what's going on. And and this is really the first point where he tells Olivia, this is my last case. Yeah, I mean, of course, doing a rewatch, we know it's not. And I think even watching it for the first time. This is Joshua Jackson. You, you, right. you know something's going to happen to keep him around. Yeah. Um, well, you, you'll bring a guy who's that famous just for, you know, four episodes, right? Like, you know, yeah, yeah. Now, now so, yeah, we wouldn't Oli- buy it. Even the first time, we, we, we're not buying it, right? Right. Now, when Olivia's ordered by Broyles to go uh, interview, I think, is Stapleton, the, the former – general who was at quantico uh, in 87 jacobson. jacobson jacobson right did you get the feeling that it was going to be one of these things like when she first 
met broils that th- there's going to be this icy feeling between the two because i sure did and oh and, did you no i just yeah. i felt like the way Broyles said it that that she was really looking forward to seeing him he was looking forward to seeing her so i didn't okay. think it was going to be like because that. It, it made me think when when fred was uh, asking about that one comment you know she she made in the first episode yeah call me honey again I'd really like that. And I'll, I, when Broyles says, I'm sure he'll be happy to see you or something, I'm like, oh, is this one of those, like, yeah, no, yeah. he won't. But, but of course, the first thing they do is embrace, and it's, it's obviously going to be a, a, a nice reunion, and, and the guy's lost his wife. But more to the point, he, he does possess this knowledge that's going to help her with the case and, and turns over his files, and, uh, you know, th- that's, that's certainly going to uh, – you know, push yeah, them. Up. One thing that I did think was going to happen is that Jacobson was going to turn out to be the bad guy. So, you know, they like after Olivia left, he'd, you know, get on the phone and say, okay, she's, she's on the trail, you know, or something like that, you know, but uh, that is obviously also not, not the case. Right. Now we do find out that the, you know, the, the guy with the gun, the killer or whoever, you know, he goes there and, and clearly he's after the cylinder shoots the guards and again, I'll go back to that that gun that he's using. It's some sort of a pulse rifle because it, it doesn't seem to penetrate their skin. You know, we're not seeing, you know, blood or limbs, even though it seems to be incredibly powerful. So I, I don't want to say it has to be from the future because who knows? Maybe this was some project that Walter worked on. I mean, we do. I mean, we do yeah. learn that. Uh, Walter worked on Project Thor, which was to you know send a an object through the Earth's crust out the other end. You yeah. know, like when we were little kids, it's like you're, right. you know dig a hole to Just China. Keep digging. Yep. 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 Yeah. Um, so yeah, a couple things. Um, yeah. Right. Exactly. Like whereas in a normal science fiction show, and I'm not saying this is abnormal, but you know, and, and normally we would see this type of technology and say, oh, these. This guy's from the future, right? Because we don't have that now. But like as you just said, we know with what Walter does that you know that that there's all kinds of crazy things he's worked on. So these could totally be from from this time period. Uh, at this point, I'd also like to point out the guy playing the killer. Uh, I'm going to refer to him as Doug, even if you don't. You can whatever, um, because he played Doug Stamper in House of Cards, which is a really one of the main parts in it and um you know his name is uh michael michael kelly yeah you know it, it's funny because that that character house of cards is first of all no one is like a good character in that show like everyone's pretty bad but doug is like one of the worst like he's just so like kind of oily and and manipulative and everything so to to see him in that kind of bad guy role again it kind of uh it, it's not a, a big leap from if you if you're a house of cards watcher okay and 2008 precedes house of cards right oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay for sure uh, right um, i'm pretty sure at least i should say i'm well, like 90 percent sure but yeah he definitely house of cards was his big role you know like he, he's obviously playing a small potatoes role in this compared to what the, the role he played in house of cards Right. Now, we also learned that, that the cylinder is transmitting a signal that, that they can't decode. It, it's vibrating at four hertz and then two hertz. And, and, you know, we do get 
an answer on that. That that's still spoiler zone material at this point, um, unless I missed the answer uh, already. But the one in Quantico eventually explodes down, never to be seen again. So that's certainly something for Olivia and the team to consider. And 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 of course we do you know see that's uh, what transpires later. But Peter and uh, I'm sorry, Walter and Project Thor many years ago, which which does sound like it could be connected to what's going on with this cylinder. But, you know, we, we go back to the observer and his call that it has arrived. And, and we know that his, you know, observing is he's waiting for it to arrive for what reason. And yeah. I mean, it's only here for, I mean, I don't know if it's here for a whole 24 hours. It seems like it's less, and then it's gone again. So what was the whole purpose of observing? Was it some kind of test? Was it, we, we don't know. We, you know. Uh, right. Well, they, they do, someone refers to it as, as a beacon, as Fred pointed out. So Right. Well, yeah. well, they even call it the beacon. Right. And, uh, but, but again, okay, you send a beacon somewhere and then four hours later it's gone. So, right. it, you know, we, we don't really get a sense of what it was there for and where it is now. Is it at another point on planet Earth? And is there another observer observing it, you know, over, you know, I guess you'd have to get a globe and figure out where it, where it went. <laughs> from, if it, from Boston, right? Right, right. If it went completely through. But the other thing is the recognition of the observer in numerous crime photos or or pattern photos and you know she takes it into broils and i love broils reaction i mean and and, and, you know you love how their relationship is developing and and we talked before what do broils and nina know about uh, olivia and you know what are there plans for her as the story progresses? But, you know, he says, come with me and takes her into that room. Got the wall of photos, uh, different incidents he's been at. And, you know, I love it. it. It took us a year to figure it out. You did it in four weeks. And, uh, you know, it, yeah. certainly if that doesn't earn her a little bit more trust, uh, I don't know what will. Sure. But yeah, it was that was pretty cool. And, and and again, we didn't necessarily get a sense of the date of a lot of those pictures. I mean, we, you know, the only other date I think we have is 1987 at this point. So, is this something that first appeared in 1987, or are we going to learn that there were incidents even before that, which would be very cool? I, I right, would think. Sure. You know, it but, definitely wouldn't uh, surprise us if, if something like that happened. Right. The killer, a.k.a. Doug, <laughs> it goes to the warehouse and, and you know, I, I guess he's tracked down that that's where the beacon is going to be, shoots all the guards, and uh, we assume he killed them. So he must have had it set on lethal at, at that point. And Walter's not surprised somebody came for it. So, you know, Walter, it, it's really, you know, as he's, regaining his scientific and intellectual skills it's almost like his social skills i don't want to say they're getting worse 
because that probably wouldn't be fair, but it's almost well, as if he doesn't realize. He, he is knocking Astri out by injecting her or something. So that's just yeah. probably a decrease in social ability there. Well, yeah. I mean, then you go to the, the question, do the ends justify the means? Because I, I think Walter realizes if he tried to take the beacon – that Astrid, while she may not have been physically able, although I guess she carries a gun, so she could have gotten a gun, she would have at the least called Olivia and Peter, and she probably would have followed him. So, you know, he, he he's certainly aware enough to know that. Still, you, you don't, you know, inject no. somebody and, and, you don't and, stick and knock them out. Right, right. right. But, but it's also his, his attitude about Peter where he, he really out and out – yells at peter several times and, and and the one where it's like don't be like your mother yeah. and you know you mentioned the the, the mother uh, either last week or the week before which which is really still a, a sore spot with peter and sure and we and we understand why yeah well and, and you know i mean peter obviously you know, prefers his mom he, he mentioned before how the house was much quieter much more stable once Walter was locked up, you know, that, that's a big mistake for Walter to, you know, to, to bring in his mom like that. You know, that, that's, that's act, such a sore spot that Peter's just like, no, oh, thank you. You made my decision so much. You know, like he, he went way too far and, and Peter's just like, okay, I'm totally out. I, I am not sticking around at all. I've, I've, I'm done. And and the really, really, really hardcore shippers are going apoplectic. No, you can't go yet. Come on. Right. So we're just getting to know each other. But, you know, I, I mentioned the pulse rifle. I mean, what about his interrogation techniques? I mean, yeah. I mean, aside from the, the you know, the, the physical pain aspect of jamming those things up his nose, I mean, it seems to enable him to read Peter's mind. Yeah, which, or at least see the images that, or, that Peter or, sees. Right. So, as you said a few minutes ago, ordinarily we would consider that to be future tech. We can't make that assumption at this point. Certainly right. we can consider it. We, we won't discount it, but it, it's certainly and, something to consider. And that pain of having something shoved it's actually something that most people by this point have actually probably experienced at one point or another oh um, good point you know but uh before i just you know because i had like a i had like sinus issues so I, i'd go to my ear nose and throat doctor and she had this little camera that she would shove up there and that was like ah you know, like like oh my god that it's painful so uh so yeah yeah but i think nowadays you know most people can uh can relate to the pain Peter's going through with having those things shoved up his nose there. And, you know, tech like that. And we have to then consider something Walter says later when he's kind of explaining to Peter, how could he have known any of that? And Walter, again, he must be drawing on some sort of a research project he'd worked on about being able to read people's minds or, or as you said, see the images that they're seeing based on proximity. So because Peter was near Walter when Walter did something, except well, he wasn't near him. So, you know, is it something in the DNA because you're, you know, connected via DNA that 
you know, that, that yeah. you were able to, whatever. I didn't even know how to explain yeah, that it. It's very woolly science for sure. Yeah. We get that great scene. Then Walter, after hiding the uh, beacon is sitting in the diner again, enjoying a root beer float. When the observer sits down, yeah. clearly knows who Walter is, thanks him for hiding the beacon and says, I can't touch it myself. And, you know, I, when he says that, of course, we're wondering, is this kind of like the Star Trek prime directive of non-interference? Uh-huh. Or is it something else? Is it that he physically can't touch it because something bad will happen to either it or him? Yeah, it could be. And if, if it is the prime interference, then this guy's already kind of screwed up because he saved Peter. Well, well right. Uh, one of our favorite Star Trek episodes where they go back to the 1930s and Captain Kirk has to save the lady. But if he does, Hitler's going to win World War II, you know? Yeah. And do you remember who the lady is? The actress? Was it Elizabeth Taylor? Joan Collins. No. Joan Collins, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, dude, that that's one of my favorite episodes. That's yeah. that's one of it. It's such a great. That's one of the, like the all time greats, like of TV ever, probably. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no kidding. But anyway, uh, you know. So so again, he also tells Walter that you'll have answers soon. So aside from the fact that this observer knows walter and, and again as you just alluded we, we learn later that that this is not their first interaction that walter also remembers it and, and you know we'll get to that in, in a couple minutes so what are the plans that the observer has for walter if he has any i mean it would certainly seem as if he does but but then of course you know we, we get through that scene that uh we talked about a minute ago with Peter strapped down, just like Stapleton, and and uh, you know Walter tells Olivia, it's, it's almost like he knows Peter will lead him to it. So at this point, why does Walter say that? How how would he make that connection already? He he knows that Peter doesn't know because he, you know, did it when Peter wasn't around. So you know we get that hint that. You know, there is something here. It's not even fair to call it pseudoscience within the context of the fringe world. So I guess we just call it fringe science. Fringe science, yeah. Which uh, we we, just a blanket term we can use for stuff that probably is not an actual thing, but we'll buy it for the next 45 minutes. Right. But then we start getting these lines that are starting to come fast and furiously you know the killer has got peter in the trunk takes him out to the you know, at first we think he's just taking him out to the woods and we're thinking like walter hid this cylinder in the woods <laughs> okay yeah. that doesn't make much sense but uh, obviously it's a graveyard and he's hidden it next to his father's grave and right. uh, you know his father who died in 1944 at age 32 so did he die in the war i mean 32 is a fairly young age i mean sure. he, he he certainly could have been serving in the the military at that point but but we don't really get an answer on that but he but tells I mean, that, pe- that's also just another little thing that you know that could be something that they come back to later you know like bringing Walter's father because that you know the 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 fact that they broadcast that so clearly 
you know, that, that grave and the camera let us, gave us plenty of time to take in that information, you know, right. Um, that's something they could definitely come back to. Right. But the killer's um, statement that it's a shame you never met him. I, I think it's not simply a throwaway line and a, how does the killer know he never met him? I guess he's just deducing that, okay, the guy died in, in uh, 1944. Peter clearly was born much later than 1944. So I, I guess just simple math would tell him that. Yeah. Um, but well, yeah, uh, I, obviously Peter would never have met him. You know, like. Right. The observer is out in the woods or, you know, at the graveyard also as well. And, you know, we, we mentioned that, that the cylinder here goes active again, disappears in the ground and the observer calls it in departure on schedule. So, what do the observers, because clearly he's talking to somebody that, that's linked to this incident. So what, what, what was the whole purpose of this? All right. It appeared. Walter has right. it for a while and then it disappears. Right. And, um, yeah, and, and they, and, and they seem to know pretty much the precise time of the arrival and the departure. So I don't know. I mean, it's just, I mean, you know, there's a lot of, we can see them kind of planting seeds in this episode, right? Like there's stuff that they, as you said, there's questions that they answer, but really end up then asking more questions at the end. So we get this, you know, the, the beacon, we got the observer, who are they? What are they? What, what's the purpose? What, what, why are they here? What's really Walter's connection? These are things, this is how you build a mythology right around the show and, and everything like that. So there's all kinds of things that we have questions about that and um, things that they'll be able to give us more interest to in the future. Yeah, and, and then we get the confrontation between Peter and the Observer and that great scene when the Observer knows exactly what Peter's going to say as he's saying it, yes. and then he shows him even before so then we go back to, all right, is this the mind-reading juju, or is this time travel? Is that you are from the future and that you've already witnessed this scene before, so that's how you know what he's going to say, which, again, as you just said, they're, they're just laying the ground with work with yeah. so many just great narrative tidbits that, you know, it, it just makes it such a, a much more vibrant show Dude, yeah, well, I, you know it, it totally reminds me and i know well, i don't know but i'm pretty sure the doctor who episode of i think it was midnight when the doctor goes on like this tour and they <clears throat> on this uh space shuttle or space a shuttle it's not in space you know and then on it there, there's a one woman who seems to be infected by some kind of alien and she starts like saying the same things to the doctor saying, and, and eventually she ends up saying his speech words before he does. Like she's stolen his words. I, I'm I'm pretty sure that show. I'm not saying that is like one or the other is influenced by the other. I doubt they are, but it's just so kind of like they're very creepily similar in that. And in both cases, it is creepy. Like that someone just all of a sudden is able to not just mimic what I'm saying, 
but then predict exactly what I'm going to say. That's crazy. Yeah, and, and then unexpectedly, the observer shoots Peter, again, with some sort of stun gun, and you would think that would put Peter over the edge and, and just seal his fate with the team. But no, that that's really this whole interaction is what has convinced him. I'm not going anywhere. This yeah. is good stuff. And I want to, I want some answers. So anyway, you know, we, we, obviously we talked about Peter throughout this aspect of the story, but you know, a lot of what we're faced with in this episode is the possibility that he's just going to bail on Olivia and as he says, you know, you know, we understand that the only reason he got out of St. Clair's is because Peter agreed to chaperone him. And as Peter says to Olivia, I'm pretty sure the government can keep him out if it wants to without me. And of course, he's right. And, you know, Olivia doesn't even get to the part where she's saying, well, you know, we can't work with him if you're not no it's like walter has said he won't work without you which then goes back to i wonder if walter actually said that to her or is this another like in the opening right. oh, uh, yeah. opening episode did she Good just point. make that up yeah and, and well, something that's I, too easy to confirm for for peter you know like he could just yeah. go say hey, walter did you tell you know so i you know um she doesn't need to go big lie on this one because we we think that that's probably true, right? From what we've seen so far yeah. of of Walter, but you know we really get. I know Gail talks a lot about uh, Peter's impatience and everything. You know, I kind of I get it, as he says to Olivia. You know, I'm, I don't like really being in one place for any length of time. He's probably moved around from what we know of him. Uh, we've learned that he's moved around a lot is never really settles down. And here he is, he's being forced to stay in one place here. He's being forced to not only that, but to be a caretaker for his dad. So he's all of this personal freedom that in agency that he was able to have in his previous life. It's gone. And as he tells Olivia, I'm not needed. Walter is needed. There's nothing special about me. And she smiles, well, you're his son. And, of course, this is all going to play out later on in the series, so so we're not going to go any. But that's also uh, a solid point there, you know. Yeah. You're his son. You you, you don't, he, Peter obviously doesn't really feel that that father-son bond but he understands that responsibility that he has towards his father. Right. And, you know, Broyles momentarily is trying to chastise Peter for losing Walter. And he's like, dude, do not even go there, <laughs> which, which I thought was great. And, and Broyles is like, yeah, you got me on that one. Right, right. <laughs> so, uh, but again, as he says, uh, once Walter shows up again, this isn't about me. Maybe it is Peter. So, you know, we're getting a lot of these hints dropped about Peter and Walter and their relationship. And, and again, this is just, I mean, you know, for you guys out there, you know, some weeks like last week, we forget to give it a grade and we don't really discuss that. And then, you know, we get 
touch base with each other. And, and so if you go to the website, we put the grade up there. I, I'm going to have a hard time not giving this one an A when, when we get to uh, the discussion later. I don't, you know, won't talk about it now, but there's just so many layers to this episode that, yeah. and, and it doesn't feel like, you know, these are disparate items everything ties together. So I guess that shouldn't be surprising with Jeff Pinkner and JJ Abrams writing right. it, right. but. And you know, it's, it's somewhere as fringe being one of those shows that the rewatch is just so worth it. You know, yeah. it's almost, it's not, I don't know if I'd say it's better than the first time you watch it, but you have such a greater appreciation for what's going on when you rewatch it and you're seeing all these things you realize that really come to fruition later. And you're like, damn, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Wow. It's like, how so, did we wait so long? That's the real I don't question know. here. That's, yeah. You know what? I, 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 part of it, I think, is just when the show was actually around, I probably rewatched it like every year for a couple years. You know, I'd go and watch the whole series again. And so I probably just got like, I don't know, just like eventually you said, I don't know, like moved on to other things, realized now that watching five full seasons of the show was too big of a commitment. Yeah, I don't know. But you're right. you you, You didn't do a supernatural rewatch before each new season? No. <laughs> um uh, you know no. you know we mentioned a few minutes ago the the scene where walter's anger rises and he tells peter not to be so small-minded like his mother and of, of course he storms out and and i think olivia realizes this might be peter's tipping point and walter looks at her it's like i upset him didn't i <laughs> it's yeah. like cl- classic understatement yeah. for yeah, sure you did, walter <laughs> right and Peter is packing to go and and he gets that one picture of him as a child and, and Walter and he, so you know we know he's angry but we don't get the idea that if he leaves and of course as we said we know he's not going to but he's not leaving with the idea of remaining estranged from his father at least I don't get that sense because why would he t- why would he take the picture right if if he didn't want you know right. to you know have some sort of a relationship with his father, you know yeah. moving forward, it shows us that as much as like I said, he he's not necessarily one hundred percent feeling that father son bond, but he's also not one hundred percent not feeling it. You know, right, right, sure. Now you know we've been talking about hospitals a lot on this episode. Yeah. <laughs> now we'll get to the hospital in Fringe, where, where obviously after getting shot by the observer, he's in the hospital. Olivia watches as he's signing himself out, but like Astrid, he's in no mood. And and you know I forgot to mention that scene when when Walter gets released. And again, what a great short scene when when uh, Walter says, can I have my own clothes? And, and Peter's like, you assaulted a federal <laughs> officer. You stole government property. I forget exactly what he says next. It's like, you don't get to call the shots. Yeah. You know, and Walt, Walter goes to apologize to Astrid. And, and I love it. She just won't even look at him. And yeah, good for her. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I mean, she's you know, the bottom person on this team, she's the junior agent. And and of course 
she's still important, and, and obviously her importance will continue to increase as the series goes on, but good for her because, no. Uh, now, granted, maybe in the aftermath when they realize why he did what he did and, you know, that this is Walter Bishop. He needed to do it. It just he didn't have time to explain. And and so I don't mean to excuse him, but Peter's in no mood, you know, for Olivia's little debrief or, or whatever it is. But then he tells her about his conversation with the observer and that maybe Walter is right. And, you, you know, at, at first, you know, he had wanted to discount Walter's you know, admission that he met with the observer, but, you know, now he's had his own confrontation. There are things happening here that I can't ever begin to explain. And then again, just great visual. So I guess you'll want this and hands him his uh, FBI credentials. Right. So not, not as good as the uh, writer bulletproof vest from castle, but, but still a pretty good, you know, pseudo credential. Although he bought that himself, so right, I'm just saying, right. You know, that, yeah, <laughs> that that was awesome. <laughs> you know, obviously not a genre show, but it, what a great show! Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah I just uh, can't recommend that more highly. So then, Peter, you know, we get that that scene because there's been so much tension between Peter and Walter, and Peter starts telling Walter about his day, and he goes through the details, and and so now they're they're really talking about the case, the way two colleagues would talk, which I think just makes this such a important, significant scene because this is now father and son. It's almost like Peter's now acknowledging that, yes, not only am I your son, I'm your colleague, and we're going to grow closer together. And and Walter says, you knew because I knew. Ideas can be absorbed through proximity. But what proximity? Like I was saying before, Peter wasn't around when Walter grabbed the cylinder and went off to hide it in the graveyard. Or maybe just when he thought about doing it, Peter was nearby. Like, not when he actually did. Oh, okay, okay. Thought yeah. about doing it. Yeah, but that it's makes still more sense. So, I don't, I don't necessarily want them to pursue this idea much anymore. That's the one part of this show. I was like, yeah, horse shit. You know, like, like, all right, you pushed it too far. All right, I was, I was with you for a, a plug that comes up through the earth and, and then disappears and a guy running around with like, you know, sonic blasters or something. But now you're telling me that an idea can just, you know, by proximity, I'm like, yeah, which right. that might be a thing. I mean, if that's a thing, please tell me. I'd be interested to know, but it doesn't seem like a thing. Well, then we get what I guess you could argue, arguably consider the biggest reveal of the episode when uh, Walter maybe. starts talking about the car accident when they were. Uh, when Peter was a child and Peter says, of course I remember. And, you know, they, they slid off the road. It was winter time and they came to rest on a pond that was frozen. But as Walter explains, after several minutes, the car sank into the ice. And apparently the story has always been. Unlikely a winter in Boston, by the way. Yeah. That Walter, you know, dove into the water and saved Peter. And he explains, I couldn't. I I was essentially unable to use my limbs, 
We were dead, Peter, you and I. We were saved by a man who shouldn't have been there. And we learn he was saved by the observer. So when he says we were dead, Peter, you and I, again, this is fringe. So we've got to consider whether he's saying it literally or figuratively. You know, is this a predictive that if he hadn't come, we would have died or we were dead and he right somehow brought us back so yeah i so tend to, to go with maybe the first part that that they were as good as dead like if this guy right. hadn't showed up they would for sure have died right and the people then, have survived underwater and ice for very long periods of time and walter mentions the fact that he it was as if he knew my thoughts before i did which of course peter can relate to because he had the same experience in, in the graveyard but then Walter tells Peter that the observer made it clear he would need me one day, a return favor. We're alive because of the observer. So has the observer or whoever the observer works for come to collect this debt? And if so, you know, what the hell? Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah so, who, who knows? But like, like you said, you know, you get one question answered and then they – you end up having about 10 more questions from yep. that. So. so what's the deal with John Scott? Right. See, when you said the biggest reveal, that's what I, that's what I thought you were going to start talking about. Oh, um, well, I see. That I guess that's not really a reveal, me. though. Yeah, yeah, right. True. Because we already saw. Um, but, you know, still shocking uh, yes. for a guy who, you know, we saw die uh, three episodes ago to be back and looking quite healthy and, and agile and and full of yeah. life so yeah all right uh anything else you want to bring up before we get to the feedback um just the one thing like about this john mosley we, we only get his name so no longer see doug his name is john mosley is a murderer from seattle so huge w huge t huge f like who is like he's not so he he's not someone from the future he's not a space guy he's not supernatural he's just a murderer from seattle well what's he but doing see, I, with all this stuff you know like, yeah I but mean, see i don't i don't read it like that necessarily i mean why can't somebody from the future be in seattle and then come across the country yeah okay good point so. but it just seemed like they they it's like they downplayed it. Like, but being able to to come with a name and his kind of bio, like to me, it seems like you know, just made him seem more like commonplace and everyday, and not like not like a dude from the future. But you're right. I mean, obviously, guy from the future could go to Seattle, except that you know, take on some kind of identity. But just you know, it seemed like just I don't know. It was weird. Yeah, well, there's no question, and I guess the the other way we could look at it is that people from the future approached him, and that's where he gets his tech, even though he's from the present. But yeah, let's not go down that rabbit hole. Right. right. <laughs> um, all right, anything else? I think that's about it. Okay. Well, let's get to some feedback. Gail touched base with us again and says hi dave and wayne she first brings up the the title of the episode the arrival and that there are many arrivals during this episode we meet mr clean aka the observer beginning of a number of new story arcs 
the world's biggest suppository. If it was designed by Apple, hey, I'm an Apple boy. Uh, Peter's boiling anger at Walter, Walter's agency, and great Scott, mostly dead John Scott returns. But as we've said, uh, the observer is, is probably the most important aspect. He finally doesn't need to be relegated to the spoiler section, mostly. We learn a lot about him in this episode. He has trouble tasting anything. That sandwich he ate with a half a jar of pepper, 11 jalapenos, which is a Fibonacci number, with a tobacco sauce chaser made my stomach ache just looking at it. I screamed when the actor bit into the sandwich and tore into it like a feature on Shark Week. If his brain doesn't have enough room for a full sensorium, what might be stuffed in there taking up the room where smell and taste are supposed to be? Hmm. Maybe something like crazy telepathic powers? Jeez, dude, you didn't have to be such a jerk to Peter when you showed him your big brain. You know, it could be he was just from the future, but, you know, 2020, the future, just was a COVID victim. Yeah, so, good point, right? I was, yeah, dude, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> he knows Walter. In fact, he saved Walter and Peter from drowning because he would need them one day, and Walter will need to pay up at some point. Was stashing the suppository enough? The observer can't touch the device. He can interact with a roast beef sandwich just fine. There's a clue here. He is tracking the arrival and departure of the device as notable. There's a pretty standard conceit in sci-fi that people traveling through time cannot interact with important things or people for fear of creating a butterfly effect. So is this a clue that he's from the future? His tech looks pretty fly, and his clothes look like he never changes them, almost like he can just hop around for a very long time from mission to mission. Also, he does not exactly seem like a standard-issue human being. So how long might it take for humans to evolve into hairless telepaths with limited senses and emotions? But, but you know, she mentions that idea of time travelers keeping their hands off and, and, and the butterfly effect, and 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 obviously the thing about time travel is you make your own rules now we expect you to be consistent with whatever rules you set up in your time travel world but that whole idea of the butterfly effect i think most writers now you know it used to be um you know you kill a butterfly and that's going to have this catastrophic impact which i think most writers now don't go down that path it's like i think i heard one writer call it the the great man not syndrome i can't think of, but but in other words you know you go back in the past and kill baby hitler well that's going to have a significant impact on history but you know the little stuff not so much so still we don't know We've got the beginning of a number of story arcs. While last week was mainly Monster of the Week, this week is all about wild, weird ride to come. What we know so far, the Observer is tracking events he deems important without interfering. Made an exception for Walter and Peter, and I'm sure this won't cause any problems at all. But we don't know if he made an exception for Walter and Peter. That might have been part of the plan. We, we don't know at this point. Sure. All of this does indeed have to do with Walter's work, even if he can't remember it. Walter owes the observer. What else might Walter owe? There seems to be several factions with different agendas connected to Walter's work, in addition to Massive Dynamic, which was noticeably absent this week. And William Bell, there is the observer, the Ghost Network folks, 
whoever's paying the interrogator to retrieve the object. And then when the interrogator, Mosley, is questioning Peter, he says he won't kill Peter depending on the answers he gives. And he asks Peter to remember the last time his father kissed him, a time when he still believed his father loved him, which, yeah, does come across as kind of odd when he, he says that. Although, how many times has a interrogator said, just tell me what I need to know. I'm not going to kill you. Tells you what you need to know, and you kill him anyway. Yeah, they kill him. Right. <laughs> you know. uh, the world's biggest suppository. These things randomly shoot up out of the earth before exploding back in. What might this mean? Well, it's made out of iridium, which is a rare element that seems to be very popular with fringe scientists in this series. Coincidence? Pops out of the ground right through any unfortunate object that has to be in its way. Suggests they were initially put in the ground before any man-made objects covered them. How many hundreds of years would that be true in the USA? How long have they really been sitting there? The only thing they do seem to do when they pop up is vibrate, and they vi- vibrate 2 megahertz, 4 megahertz, 2 megahertz, which could be SOS. If so, who are they calling? What are they trying to say? Uh, you know, we've talked about Peter's boiling anger at Walter, far in excess of what reciting the formula for root beer should cause, but I think that's kind of a culminating uh, impact. Uh, Peter spends most of the time red-faced, shouting at Walter, deriding, disrespecting Walter, belittling, belittling Walter in front of others, threatening to leave. It's frankly hard to watch. It's been clear that there's some kind of serious fracture in this relationship, but things seem to be have taken a giant leap backward. It seems the more functional Walter becomes, the angrier Peter gets at him. It's interesting that Walter answers Peter reasonably the whole episode, but Peter's too inwardly focused to listen. Walter gets angry and shouts back, this isn't about me, to which Walter replies, maybe it is, Peter. In his anger, Peter blows right by that. What could Walter mean? Now, Walter's agency, we finally see him take some independent action and begin to reclaim his agency, and apparently his homemade medication, decent food, challenging work, company of caring people is starting to knit him back together again. But Walter being Walter, his definition of acceptable action is a little off color at times. So he decides the device got to be hidden before people die. And, you know, nobody's listened to him all day. So do it himself. Uh, rather than continuing to argue with an enraged Peter, he sends him off on a wild goose chase for aluminum foil. And, you know, I think we figured that, okay, maybe there is a reason he needs the foil. But no, just, uh, yeah, to make tinfoil hats. Right. Um, tranquilizes Astrid, has a chat with the observer, despite it being weird that he has no eyebrows. And then he tells Peter the story of how the observer, uh, changed him. Of course. Um, did you notice the interrogator wears a hat with uh, three green circles and a red? I did notice that. Um, and I thought, all right, is that some fashion brand that I don't know? Saw this last week on the wall at the train station, which I definitely did not notice. Kayak and Olivia's shared dream with John some secret group society afoot. She says that Peter's grandfather died in 44, but Walter was born in 46. Is this a flub or does it mean something? And, and I, I'm not sure when we learned that Peter, uh, that Walter was born in 46. So maybe we missed that. Maybe it was on a document somewhere that we, yeah. You know, yeah I'm not sure where that. Yeah. So, uh, 
No bonding this week. Olivia succeeds in buying Peter off with a cookie and uh, welcomes him as a consultant consultant. And John Scott's looking a lot better. It's almost like somebody surpassed Walter and succeeded in resurrecting more than guinea pigs. Her quote of the week, I sure hope that a giant metallic suppository is not the pinnacle of human achievement. So uh, until next time, gentlemen, call before you dig. Gail, thank you so much. Again, great stuff. And uh, she's got one item that we'll talk a little bit in the uh, spoiler section. So uh, let's hear what Fred's got for us, and we will be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne, and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewards. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Fringe, Season 1, Episode 4. All the best wishes for 2022, for you, Dave and Wayne, and for, of course, all other listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. I don't know if it's a reason for you for a celebration. Uh, I don't even know if it's a reason for me for a celebration. But today is very special, this podcast, because today I have given 24 hours of audio feedback for all Sci-Fi TV Rewatch podcasts together. As a proper nerd or geek, I have a Excel sheet where I put in the amount of time my feedback is. And the counter just went over 24 hours, so a full day. Okay, about Fringe now. Coming back to last week's podcast, and I want to come back to that scene in episode 3 where Olivia goes to the morgue and has a look at the corpse of Evelina Mendoza, a short Eva, the DEA agent who died in the bus, and the one that Agent Davidson had to identify, and that Agent Davidson took the chip out of her hand. And I looked the scene up where Olivia goes to the morgue and what exactly happens there. She indeed has a flashback in the sense of that she sees that this Agent Davidson takes Eva's hand, but he is standing in front of it, so she cannot see that he is actually cutting in her hand and getting the chip out. Then you see Olivia stare into the room and indeed has, as Wayne expected, a guide of vision, so not a flashback, a kind of vision, what could have happened. A terrible nitpick there, by the way, is that if she has this vision, you see Davidson cut the hand, and they use a very sharp a scalpel knife, but they use the back side of it instead of the sharp side. Really, really, really so off-putting, And then, of course, the next nitpick is that Olivia imagines that they took something out of the hand. And then this is this round translucent disc they take out. How could she imagine that it would be something like that? Because five minutes later in the episode, you have the whole chase with uh, the suitcase, etc. And then they get out of the suitcase within this container such a chip. And she says to Boyles... What is this? And Boyle said, we don't know. So that is actually the very first time she sees this disc. How could she have imagined exactly this thing standing there in the morgue? So not the nicest way of doing this and quite confusing because first she gets a a flashback. Okay. And then she gets a vision. And that's, of course, 
confusing just a few seconds after each other and then the thing with the knife and then the thing with the disc she cannot know that it would look like that unless she has some special psychic gifts or something like that and that of course could be possible and that's perhaps why this this nina of passive dynamic and broils are so interested in her okay going into episode four that observer guy gives me a kind of man in black feeling. That's because of his outfit, of course. On the other hand, it is quite reminiscent what happens here to the last season of Runaways. But that's probably not a series you watch. It, of course, gives a very alien impression with his very strange taste for very spicy stuff and his peculiar script. All gives a bit a unworldly feeling. I surely have the feeling he will play a larger role uh, within this season, perhaps even within the series. And because of the episode is called The Arrival, it marks a kind of start of something. So that also gives the feeling that this will be a kind of story that takes a little longer than just this episode and what has he to do with this underground torpedoes, which are obviously human-made, because they were a part of Project Tor, something Walter doesn't want to talk about. But is it a torpedo as in the Project Tor? Because the Observer and Walter talk about it as a beacon. And a beacon, that's something that sends a signal out, and of course it does, and is that done towards something alien? And why do these things appear and disappear seemingly without no reason? And I said things, perhaps it's just one. Perhaps this is the same one as in 1987. And who is that other party that wants this information and wants to get to the beacon? And has very awful interrogation methods. They obviously can just pick your brain by torturing and getting the information even without saying something. Okay, a lot of questions. That was all for now. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Well, you're out. If you see a chance to get me a root beer float, that would be wonderful. I'll see what I can do. All right, uh, good stuff as usual. Uh, so, w- what do you think about Fred? Yeah. Well, you know, first of all, Fred, uh, thank you. Hope you're having a good year as well. As you, uh, you heard from Dave and I in the beginning, 2022, maybe not off to the best start this year. Uh, congratulations on being a 24-hour party person. I'll sing a little bit for you. A 24-hour party people. There you go. We'll and you've mentioned you that there. that's one of your favorite movies. So Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, at first when, when Fred started mentioning the uh Olivia's vision, I was still holding to the you know, oh no, it's you know, she's just they're just visualizing her thinking process. But then he has the good point of you know, the disc that they pull out and how could Olivia have known what they pulled out of Agent Mendoza. Uh, fair point. So maybe Olivia does have some kind of uh, telekinetic type powers here and everything like that. I haven't seen the series Runaways, but uh, 
like the movie. I know the movie and the series are nothing alike, but you know, the movie is about the rock band, The Runaways. So if you haven't seen that, I know we've talked about it in the show before, but worth checking out. Yeah, great flick. Yep. Um, but yeah, you know, he mentioned, you know, that whole idea about the disc. So unless this is, you know, something to do with Walter's theory about proximity and thought transfer, yeah, I mean, I'm not ready to think it's some sort of a, a flub in, in the narrative. So, you know, there's got to be some sort of an explanation. But yeah, I think okay. Fred's absolutely right here. Yeah, sure. 24 hours of feedback. Whew. Wow. That's a, that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. We talk about six minute intervals too. So, that, you know, I know we let them get away with a little bit more early on, but, uh, so that was a lot of feedback, Fred. Yeah. Congratulations, so, my brother. Yeah. So is the beacon part of Project Thor? Is Project Thor still active? Yeah. You know, we, we've discussed the possibility. I mean, certainly Walter brings up the fact that somebody has, you know, taken my research and, and continued it. So, you know, does this have anything to do with that? I don't know. Yeah. So, it's crazy stuff uh, going on. All right. Anything else uh, for Fred? No, I think I'm good. Okay. Um, Fred, thank you. Gail, thank you. Um, I, I don't know. I, I already said what my feeling for a grade is going to yeah, be for I'm this just, one. You know, again, like, I kind of go A minus. For A, I don't like overgrading early. But B, it's just they have, like, this big coda again. Like, the action of the – and I'm not saying – again, I'm not saying it's bad. Like, again, I'm just, like, nitpicking. Can I find one thing that I wasn't 100% awesome about this show, about this episode? Well, maybe the one thing is, like, this kind of – you know, the the after. Like, how, like, the, the, the bad guy is – like really just a dude kind of, or we don't really learn anything about the bad guy or why he does what he does all this stuff at the end. And of course, you know, John Scott appearing, which was kind of cool, but also again, like, I don't know. I, I don't even know what I'm so you're going a about here. So I'll go a minus. Right. Okay. All right. So I, 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 let's just go back to, I just don't like overgrading early. Mm-hmm. I hear you. So, all right, well, let's go to the spoiler zone. And as we say each week, if you have not watched the entire series, stop listening to the podcast at this point, unless you want to be spoiled. And, you know, maybe you do. That's that's uh, up to you. But certainly there's a ton of stuff. Uh, Gail mentions the fact that we later learn that the observer is named September. So we'll uh, certainly be looking forward to, you know, that revelation. Well, but, and, and- the th- you know, obviously the interaction with this observer is pretty benign, but the observers are not benign. Like they're right. the big, they end up being the big bads. Right, right. So, uh, you know, you want to throw out the first spoiler zone tidbit? Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot, but it's like stuff that we've talked about before. There's all the hints at Peter's importance. Like maybe you are important or maybe it's, what did he say again? Well, oh, this well, is, he thing, says this has nothing to do with me. He says, maybe it does. Well, yeah, it does, actually. It, it turns out everything that's happening in the pattern has directly to do with uh, what, you know, Walter stealing, you know, Peter from the other world. Right. I mean, Peter tells Olivia, there's nothing special about me. And she says, well, you're his son. And we're thinking like, well, no, you're no, not. Not so much. 
Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, that car accident where Peter falls through the ice is, is you know, obviously pretty significant because that's where – now, granted, you could say, well, that's not really spoiler zone because that came out in, in the episode that uh, the Observer is involved of that. But the other thing that I, I want to just mention, the the, uh, the killer guy – now, I forgot his name already. Um, John Mosley. Mosley, right, tells Peter that it's a shame he never got to meet his grandfather. Well, maybe he did in the other universe. You know, maybe in the other universe, his grandfather didn't die in 1944. True. So, you know, so does he know which Peter this is? I mean, we don't know, but but certainly, you know, those are right, the right. you would be reasonable well, yeah, questions we, to ask. And, yeah, and watching it from our perspective, you really get a feeling he does know Peter's deal. The okay. questions he asks him are very pointed questions. You know, do you remember when your father loved you? Like, right. Wait, why, why is he asking? Because, right? So, so yeah, I mean, it, by his questions, we, we get a feeling that Mosley totally knows where Peter's actually from. All right. Um, you want to leave it there? I think so. I think, okay. yeah. I All just feel right. like a lot of the, the the stuff that we see in this episode are, are um, spoilers that we've um, discussed from previous episodes. So. Right, right, right. Exactly. And we, and we don't want to, you know, yeah, take too much time. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. So, uh, all right. Well, listen, that will do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Fringe, uh, anything you're watching in your genre TV world or even film world for that matter. Join the Facebook group if you haven't already. If you want to contact us, it's Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com. And we'll be back next week to talk about Season 1, Episode 5 of Fringe. But until then... You know, I think I finally discovered what I probably want to put on my gravestone. This is it, Dave. Damn it, must you always be such a smartass. <laughs>